This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Spear Factor Spearfishing Podcast. I'm Brett Whitman, and today we have a special show for you today. We have Christina Chang. She's a diver from San Diego, originally from the Bay Area. Uh, she also enjoys surfing quite a bit and some of the travels and where both those two activities have taken her have definitely influenced her cooking. Um, I first noticed her on social media with some of the posts that she was posting where there were just these ridiculously good looking dishes that I actually never really thought of. and. Um, I was pretty impressed by that and then the fact that she loves to dive so I thought we'd have her on the show. We also have some new sponsors and some new deals from our sponsors for you guys. Uh, so first let's start off with uh, Acaso Cameras. Uh, I can get 15% off to you guys, Fear Factor listeners. If you go to the link on the website, click on it, there's a promo code there. Uh, apply that promo code and it'll give you... 15% off and you know in my humble opinion really really good cameras that are damn near as good as GoPros with about a fourth of the cost so it's kind of a nice thing to have if you lose it you're not going to be out 400 bucks or whatever they are nowadays the next sponsor is uh, Hot Rod Spear Guns you guys know I've been working with Paul Hot Rod for a while he gave us 10% off with promo code Spear Factor pretty awesome thank you Paul and Kamira Side Slip. So Kamira Side Slip, you can purchase those at Kamira Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before on the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And our last sponsor is One Drop Spearfishing, basically an environmentally minded group of guys that 
love to dive, live and breathe it, but their whole focus is feeding friends and family and enjoying their time in the water. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, solid group of guys. And uh, check out their website, One Drop Spearfishing. Check them out on YouTube, One Drop Spearfishing. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor Podcast, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Spear Factor. Today's guest is Christina Cheng. Um, Ms. Cheng, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, born and raised in the Bay Area, I moved down to San Diego uh, after grad school for what was supposed to be a summer. I wanted to uh, surf in warmer water uh, just for a few months. And that was seven and a half years ago now. So it's just been a really long summer <laughs> vacation. Uh, we made San Diego our permanent home. I think I decided to do that after after about a year or two of um I figured it was just, it's, it's a really great place to call home and, and a small slice of paradise. Um, and so I grew up swimming uh, competitively and then played water polo um, through, through college, uh, but never really had a lot of touch points with the ocean growing up um, until I picked up surfing right before grad school. Surfed through grad school when I was in the Bay Area. Uh, moved down to San Diego and just kept surfing just all the time. Um, and then one of my buddies uh, told me that, like, oh, if you want to surf bigger waves, you really need to be able to hold your breath. So that's that's what really that's what really sent us into uh, the foray of spearfishing. So we took the PFI class. My my boyfriend at the time and I took it. Um, now husband. Uh, and as everyone was going around the room talking about why they were taking free diving class, uh, everyone was talking about spearfishing and lobstering, um, and it kind of just piqued our interest. And then the person sitting next to us uh, was also from Encinitas and told us, oh, by the way, you can get lobsters like right in front of your house. And I was like, wow, really? And they're like, yeah, and the lobster card only costs 10 bucks. And I was like, that sounds like a fantastic deal. Um Little did I know that it's a little harder than, than it sounds just go to pick up lobster right in front of your house. Um, but that's, that's what kind of kickstarted it for us. We, uh, bought all the gear, um, and then what started going out lobstering together, uh, at night. And <laughs> the first season, I think we probably between the two of us caught like five or six eagles. Like we were just every time we saw a big one, we would miss it and we didn't know where to look for them. I mean, it was just, it was like a blind leading the blind situation, uh, which is sort of how it went for, for the first year or two. This was back in, uh, 2015. Okay. Um, I mostly learned how to spearfish by watching YouTube videos. <laughs> 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 and, and then we joined San Diego Freedivers. Um, and that's a really awesome community, um, of divers that, that we learned a ton from and made a ton of good friends with. Um, and then continued spearfishing, uh, and then got really into it, um, really after we had boat access, we went out to Hawaii, um, and Daryl Wong took us out. Um, and he is just, he is like the spirit of aloha. Like he just, just the greatest dude. It just took us out spearfishing. And he was like, man, if you guys like spearfishing, you have to have boat access. 
Uh, so we joined Freedom Boat Club uh, and then started going out every week. And that's really, that was in early 2018. And that's what really sort of kickstarted it for us of really getting into the sport um, and being able to take friends out uh, and, and all that stuff. And 2018 was a great year for Bluefin. So first first year really spearfishing regularly more than just uh, more than just a few charters uh, and shore diving. And we were both able to plug our first bluefin, which was awesome. Um, and then I've been doing that for the last few years and uh, kind of slowly picked up and gotten better and better uh, over the years. But it's just I just think it's such a tremendous gift to be able to go and see this whole new world underwater, uh, pick up food and just really enjoy something that very few people get to enjoy underwater. I think it's, to me, spearfishing is such a special sport. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's like such a weird connection that you 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 still have this feeling that you're a guest, but at the same time, there's like part of you that feels like you belong, or you're just a part of it, and you're trying not to uh, take too much away and trying to embrace it all at the same time. Um, you brought up a couple of cool things, like, so... Shooting a bluefin, it's like it's like I say, it's like um, being addicted to a drug. Now you just got your fix. Now it's just you're chasing that high. It's never as good as the first one, you know. Uh, so tell me about the first time you shot a blue your your bluefin story. So I had missed, I had missed probably like a dozen shots before I actually made one. I, every time I got down there and they started vortexing me, I got like really nervous and I just take the first shot without actually just like pausing and, and lining up a proper shot and leading it. Um, and then I was also super scared that when I shot one, that this like epic fight would ensue um, and the fish would pull and I would just like, it would pull the float down and there would just like be line everywhere. And I was, I think I was a little bit scared of that. Um, so I finally connected with one and it was like nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I was the first one dressed. Like when we're leaving the, the harbor, I got dressed and I was like, I'm going to be the first one in and I'm super excited. I think today's going to be the day. Um, so we rolled up, uh, I think we we're on our way to the 43 um, and we went through the North Nine. And as soon as we got to the Nine, we were like, oh, the tuna are like right here right now. Um, and so the boat dropped me off. And like first drop of the day, I dropped down to like 25 feet, um, lined up a shot and then shot one. And I was like, man, I, I know I hit it, but the float line is slack. And I'm like, that's really bad. Um, so I start looking around and I'm like, there's blood everywhere. And I'm like, oh gosh, like it, I, I hit it in the spine and it didn't even move. It was just like slowly swimming in circles. And so I just grabbed it by the tail and that was it. It was the most anticlimactic tuna story. That I've ever heard. <laughs> Those are the best kind though. Um, so it it fought less than I've had I've had like two pound sheephead fight harder than that tuna did. <laughs> that's the way to do it though, you know. You got to get that good shot, or it's just a nightmare. We fought a tuna for like an hour, uh, and drifted like two miles. It was just a, it's just dangerous. You're smart though to be like, I think it's it's very um I respect that a lot. You're smart to to be a little weary of shooting a fish that big too because. You know, everybody like I, I'm surprised that nobody has died yet with the tuna like getting taken down or anything because, I mean, that's just one powerful fish, unless you spine it like you did. But uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, with all the line and all that, it takes a little bit a level of discipline and respect, I think, too, to like not to 
get yourself in a bad situation. So no, that's really cool. And then you mentioned uh, Daryl Wong. I, I've heard nothing. I've never met Daryl, but right along the same, I have friends that know him personally, and I have not heard anything bad about that man. I've heard exactly what you're saying, like the spirit of Aloha. He's a really cool, cool ambassador of our sport, I feel like, you know? Yeah, he's a he's a great ambassador of our sport in terms of teaching new people and getting people excited about the sport. And he's so skilled and so humble and just just a great host. It uh it really over the last like few years we have people passing through San Diego, uh, to you know meet new divers from out of town and and take people out and, and share that same experience that we had in Hawaii. Yeah, that's that's a key thing. Um, we were talking about that and some other places I've been where, you know, I feel like diving is different than surfing in the sense that we open our, you know what I mean? You know, like we are so more welcoming to where it's like, oh, you surfed? Uh, get the fuck out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, diving is just so, and I'd like to keep it that way as best as possible. But I'm sure it'll eventually get like that as things get more crowded, you know. Uh, so you're in the Freedom Boat Club. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because I have had a ton of people ask me about that, and uh, I looked into it myself. But um, I thought that'd be kind of cool for people that don't have boat access maybe to get some info on that. Yeah, now there's two boat clubs in town, um, and they they both kind of offer similar services. The only difference I will say is that the other boat club in town lets you take the boats out at night. So if you're into lobster diving, um, Carefree is probably a better bet for for new spiros looking to to join boat clubs, um, but they're both they're both great and they have center consoles and, and pilot houses, um, and it's just a great alternative for people who are just want to dip their toe in but don't know a lot about boats and don't want to deal with the hassle of boat ownership. That being said, I think we're we're in the process of buying into fifty percent of a boat to do longer trips because once you start spear fishing on the regular locally. <laughs> You're always just chasing that high for something a little bit further away. So to have a boat that we can go out and spend like a day and a half, two and a half days out at out at Clemente and, and Tanner and Cortez is uh, it's probably the next step for us. Well, yeah, especially this year with the bluefin being out that when, you know, when the bluefin were out there like 80, 100 miles. Um, yeah, that's a long day. <laughs> yeah, we did do we did a day trip um, on a charter with my with my dad, Rod and Reeling out there. And it is a long day to go out 80 miles, no matter how fast that boat is. Yeah, we did it. My boat, we were cruising about 30 knots out there, but we got, you know, 80 miles out up early. And by the time you get on, like, we found the fish, it was like 2.30. And, you know, it's like, okay, we got to hurry up and try to shoot one before it gets too dark. I got to be back by X amount of time. I mean, I'll never do that again. I'll probably next time just go to San Clemente Island and camp out. It's just worth it the day before, I think. Um, yeah, I don't. So, speaking of San Clemente Island, uh, have you dove there at all this year? Or? I didn't get a chance. So, this summer, my ears were bugging me quite a bit. I dove too much during the, uh, the early months of COVID, and by June, my ears needed, needed a few months before lobster season. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to dive there this year, but we did do, we did a day and a half trip out there last summer with Captain Bly. Um, and, uh, got to shoot bluefin and some, some big yellowtail out there. Um, but it's an incredible experience out there. It's a, it's a next, it's next level and the bluefin are so thick out there. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your ears. Um, 
So do you wear earplugs when you surf or? I don't. Um, I know I probably should, but I don't wear earplugs. Um, I, uh, my buddy's an ENT doctor. Um, and I, I use a, every time I get out of the water, I use a mixture of water, distilled water and distilled vinegar to like clean my ears out. Um, and then I'm on like two different nasal sprays, um, just because my ears kind of naturally get inflamed. Uh, and that's pretty good. It allows me to dive, um, pretty regularly. Like I do the last, before today, I do the last three straight days. So. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, we did a podcast, I did a podcast with my friend who's a ear, nose and throat doctor as well. Um, because when I was diving every day for work, there was a time where it just got so bad with fungus or whatever it was in my ears, they would just swell up where, um, I went and saw him. I just have to be like super religious about wearing earplugs when I surf and then every single time do that 50, 50 mixture that you're talking about. Um, oh, you do that mixture too? Yeah. Yeah. I do actually, um, alcohol and vinegar, mostly like vinegar though, but I know the alcohol they say can dry the ear out too much. Um, but, uh, yeah, my buddy told me, uh, 50, 50 alcohol and vinegar and, um, just doing it religiously was an absolute blessing. Um, and then I needed to get out of the water for a couple of months actually and give my ears a break. And this was like, honestly, probably seven years of diving, um, being on the water, you know, five days a week and probably diving three of those five days. And, um, I was kind of an idiot and never wore a hood either. Um, and uh, I think that combined with surfing after work and everything, it just kind of took a toll. But, um, yeah, I tell everybody that like, definitely I hate earplugs because I like to talk to my buddies and hear everything, but I have to hear when I go other places that are maybe a little bit cleaner, um, surfing the jetty is probably not the best place. I go, um, you know, the tropics or something, I don't really have as many problems and maybe because it's warm water, but, um, yeah, here is definitely like a religious routine of 50-50 for sure. My doctor buddy told me that when you travel, the water is usually typically a lot cleaner, that the water in San Diego is that clean. And that's that's why the uh, the vinegar is so important for us. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I was um, I was in, you know, surfing every day in Guam and diving every day in Guam. And I never even used, uh, I don't think I used it. I hardly used it at all. And I got back here and I surfed uh, twice in two weeks and I got an ear infection immediately. And it just really kind of re like reinforced my thought here is like, man, we don't really realize how dirty the water is because we're just rubbing it so we know it. Um, we just accept it. But wow, like it literally two weeks, two times out and it was an ear infection. And I was doing the 50-50 too. It just like, I got to stay out of the water and do this. I guess I didn't do it as enough as I usually do, but just that change, I think going from clean to then dirty water, um, was kind of a shock to the ear canal, I guess. Um, so you surf a lot. So let's just talk about your recent trip to El Salvador. Um, that's where you went, right? Yeah, we hadn't, um, we hadn't been on a surf trip in months and kind of got a little stir crazy and, uh, decided to just kind of roll the dice with COVID and, and book a trip to El Salvador. That place is so crowded, usually in peak season. So we thought that you know, we booked it last minute. We knew a swell was coming, um, and, uh, and and we were able to score like great waves that were not that crowded the whole time that we were there. I wanted to go fishing, but uh, the the conditions just weren't right. And they do 
we're just so lucky in San Diego that we have so many different kinds of fishing, rod and reel and spear fishing. In so many parts of the world, all they do is pull, which to me is quite boring. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I look, I fish to enjoy it. So it's not necessarily even catching the fish is, you know, uh, yeah, we went, uh, we were down in Mexico one time trolling. I ended up falling asleep, drooling all over myself. And I was like, yeah, that was not the best. I paid like 500 bucks for this. Like, that was kind of boring. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a shame you hadn't get a chance to get out there and spear. I was always curious about that area. Um, but there's all like, yeah, there's good waves down there. Um, anywhere... I think, I think the fish are super thick down there. Like, if you do, you can't bring spear guns with you to a lot of these countries. Right. But a lot of people will make spear guns. But I, from what I understand, Central America is supposed to have fantastic spear fishing. Yeah, I definitely um, know a few spots. And then exp- I went to Nicaragua on a surf trip and kind of did uh, like a couple of days of just diving in between surfing. And um, I was I was surprised. Like, that's for sure. I was definitely like, um, I just don't think like you're saying, I don't think it, it's... It's huge down there because it's the tradition of just rod and reel fishing, you know, and being is just such a normal thing that jumping in the water and unless so you had someone to really mentor you and show you isn't something that's productive in the beginning for sure. Um, Especially in the beginning, it is like probably the least efficient way to to procure food. <laughs> and we were talking about I burned five thousand calories to get a uh, three hundred calorie uh, piece of breaded fish. Yeah, it's you know it's funny too because like you when we go offshore here, you know we're fishing kelp patties and you know I tell everybody, well if you put a shaft through a fish, it kind of kills the patty. But if we stay here and fish, we can limit out possibly on this patty. But um, so I try to explain it to people like that, but like when my son's on the boat and all that, like, the, but I go, but for me, it's not really about a quantity at all. It's just about quality and the experience of jumping in and seeing one fish and shoot it, you know? Yeah. I mean, seeing fish, just seeing the ecosystem on the patty is just an incredible experience. It's hard to describe to people unless you can show them, show them video, especially when the water is blue. It's just, to me, it's one of, the most incredible things you get to see in Southern California. Well, it's like the most condensed version of an ecosystem. And you can see the chain like right there with, you know, with the smaller bait fish, the baby yellowtails, the bigger yellowtails, the half moons, you know, it's, and all the other like little hitchhikers on the kelp. Um, yeah, it's super special. Uh, so, we talk about quality here of fish. You're quite the culinary uh, entrepreneur, in my opinion, I guess. So what is your, what, what's your background as far as have you always been into cooking or um, like fish and all that? Or how did you get into about like really, I guess, stepping up your, your game as far as cooking? Uh, so I love to cook. That was something that, that was <clears throat> with me kind of growing up. Um, and so when I started fishing, I was like, this is so incredible. You can get the freshest, like best ingredients and then you can kind of experiment with them. Um, so the cooking definitely came before the spear fishing. Um, but I think it's such a gift to be able to see your food from like, like physically observing it in the water to, to, to being on your plate. Um, 
it's kind of like full circle spearfishing experience to me. So what are your favorite dishes to make and with what fish? Oh man, that's like, I think we're so lucky because we get to eat seasonally that yeah. it really, it really changes based on the time of year. Um, <clears throat> like in the summertime, uh, we do a lot of like seared yellowtail dishes. Um, and then we do a lot of tuna pokey and, um, kind of seared dishes. We started dry aging fish, uh, this year, which for people who've never done it, um, I learned to do it from, uh, from our, from our mutual friend, Matt, but it is, it is awesome. It takes your fish like totally to the next level. And the best part is it can sit in your fridge for, you know, like a few days up to two weeks. So you can eat it whenever you want to. So nothing gets wasted and you don't feel like you have to eat it on a certain night. Um, so that's been something that we really like to do for sashimi. Uh, this time of year, we eat a lot of lobster for, for, for whatever reason, when people, whenever people come over to the house, um, and we're like, oh, we can make you whatever lobster is like always on the top of everyone's list. Um, so we end up eating a lot of that. Like tonight, uh, we're having two buddies over and we're making lobster tikka masala, which is, uh, oh, wow. which has been a favorite this season. I looked up for just like regular tikka masala and I was like, well, they do tikka masala with shrimp, so it should probably taste good with lobster. Um, and it quickly became a household favorite. We do a stir fried lobster with oyster sauce and ginger and scallions. That one's, that one's like a, that one's kind of a perennial favorite. Um, like what else? I'm writing, I'm going to write that, uh, chick, that lobster, uh, Oh, lobster I'll send you, I'll send now. you the recipe and you yeah, can, that, uh, you can put a, you can put a link to it in, uh, in the podcast so people can see it. But that one is, that oh, one's sure. awesome. We, we've done it, we've done it with mahi as well and it tastes really good with mahi. Yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. COVID, we've done a lot less takeout this year. So it's been a lot more cooking. So it's, uh, even next level. It's all the stuff that we used to like as takeout. We uh, just had to figure out how to make on our own. <laughs> so, no, I totally, yeah, I totally can relate to that. Um, so, share with everybody what the dry aging process, because Matthew showed me that, Matt showed me that, um, Mr. California, and uh, I was, it, it, my dad said, what did he say? He was like, that was the best fish we ever had. And I was like, wow, okay, I made that, and I'm not a cook. Like, that's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, could you mind elaborating a little bit on what dry aging is? Of course. So I had originally read about it um, in Josh Nyland's book. I think it's called The Whole Fish Butchery. Uh, so he's like an Australian uh, chef. Um, but I was kind of scared to experiment with it in my own kitchen because I, I was honestly just scared of giving myself food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound right at all. But, like yeah. when someone's like, "Oh, would you like to come over? I have I have two week old fish in my fridge." Most people would be like, "No, I'm I'm all set." Uh, <laughs> so it's um it's all it all has to do with the care of the fish. Um, and this is where we're so lucky that we get to that we catch the fish spear fishing one by one, so you can take care of them um one by one. Um, so it starts with um you bleed the fish out first, and then you cut the gills out. Um, and pull the guts out from the gills. So you gill and gut it kind of in one fell swoop. Um, and then kind of put it in a dry, dry it, put it on ice until you get home. Um, and then as soon as you get home, you take a single bevel knife, um, and you run it, um, across, you run the scales like across the skin. So you're trying to take off that outer layer of scales and leave that inner layer of skin on. 
and you do that for wherever the skin is the thickest. So for, for like a calico bass, for example, that's the entire fish. Um, and, and also the calico bass, you can kind of get lazy and just use a scaler as long as you're gentle, gentle with it. Um, with tuna, um, that is the middle and the top part of the fish. The belly skin is a lot thinner, so you don't have to cut into it, but you do want to try and take that outer layer of skin off. Um, and then you make a single cut through the bottom of the belly, open the belly up, um, and lay it flat on a wire rack. And your fridge needs to be 35 degrees or cooler. Or if you have a beverage fridge, you can like hang it with a meat hook, uh, vertically on a, in a beverage fridge. And, um, and then the next day I usually put on, oh, also while you're doing all of this, I put on like latex gloves. So my hands don't actually touch the fish while I'm processing it to just minimize the amount of bacteria. The next day I'll take, put uh, rubber gloves on again and just kind of pat it dry. Uh, and then after that, you just can kind of like let it sit. Uh, yellowfin is, I would go yellowfin about seven to 10 days. We just ate a bluefin that was like 12 days old and it was, it was perfect. It was, and it probably, uh, but the bluefin was too big to fit in our fridge. So that we took a big loin piece and then I used dry age bags that I bought on, uh, on Amazon. Um, and put it in the dry age bag for, for 12 days. Um, and then when you cut into the loin, you take the outer layers off and it kind of like feels like a jerky like consistency. And then the inside is like a beautiful pink color, uh, that's ready to cut into the sashimi. Uh, we've also dry aged yellowtail, calico bass, and then we did, uh, we did a big 10 pound whitefish. The whitefish was incredible. If, if you ever catch a trophy whitefish, you should definitely dry age it for a few days. Yeah, I gotta try that. I've never done a whitefish, and that fish by itself is delicious enough. But yeah, I can't imagine that. That'd be kind of cool. So then, when you when you now that you've aged it, now how do you how do you like to prepare it? Mostly sashimi. Like when we dry age fish, almost always we eat it as sashimi because it's so rich and condensed. Um, and if you do cook it, which you can, and sometimes we'll sear it, uh, you just need to be mindful of that fact that it'll cook three to four times faster because there's no moisture in the fish. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. And then you want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. So I guess with the dry aging, so what is the theory behind that? Like, I understand it's supposed to basically let rigor mortis take place and break down the tissue. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it lets, it breaks down the tissue, especially with like bigger fish like bluefin. You can take like a tail cut and then all that sinew just melts away and becomes like a butter-like consistency. Um, and if you've ever had fresh bluefin tail, that is, it's, filled with a lot of sinew that's not very palatable. Um, and then it also lets the flavor really develop. So it's like having dry aged beef. It has that like umami mushroom flavor. The fish develops um, a flavor that's like really rich and not fishy um, uh, after dry aging. Like the shocking thing for us was the first time we did it, we did a whole, uh, whole yellowfin. It was like maybe 10 pounds. Um, and I thought for sure after two or three days, the fish would start to smell. Uh, it never started to smell. As long as you, when you open up that belly, you clean out every single little piece of bloodline and guts. The fish just doesn't smell. It's, it's pretty remarkable. 
Yeah, and you kind of want to do that anyways for the limit the bacteria and all that, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> when you before you were doing this dry aging stuff, what what were you typically cooking your fish with? Like, how did you typically just fry it or? So I like the, so I think for us, like if you fish every week, and I'm sure you're in the same boat, you get pretty bored of eating fish that's cooked with lemon and butter. Like you get pretty sick of it pretty soon. Absolutely. Um, and so, so for us, it's just about trying new recipes and different cuisines and like thinking about like how people around the world eat fish um, and different ways that you can try stuff. You can only have so many fish taco nights before your friends don't want to come over for fish tacos anymore. Um, and so for us, it's just about experimenting. We do do sashimi um, for for a lot of fish, but it's it's fun to get really creative um, and think about different cuisines, like whether it's tikka masala or like a Thai curry. Um, we do we do a lot of Mexican food, um, and and we just kind of try to mix it up. Uh, that's like that's the main thing. Is like I look at all the ways that I've had fish in restaurants um, and, and try to try to mimic and copy those. And I, also I think being a part of San Diego free divers, our whole community is super passionate about cooking and making the best use out of, out of your catch that, it, that I get inspired by, by what other folks cook as well. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Never let anything go to waste and um, you can never, I mean, I, I learned that too, traveling, just all the different ways, like the dry aging thing, like you said, um, a two week old fish that would never ever occur to me of trying to eat that and think it would be delicious. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a cool idea. Yeah. Just keep an open mind. That's a good point to all the, all the younger guys out there too. Keep an open mind and pay attention, see what people are doing. You might like it. Um, so now we're moving in from summer to, your winter here uh what is your dive like you're going to lobster season now you're like full-blown lobster season mode or do you switch over to any other like reef fish or things like that so i think lobster diving was our first foray into the sport and, and to this day is still my favorite type of diving um i think there are other like i like to mix it up and not eat the same fish over and over again um or the same thing over and over again um but in terms of level of enjoyment um, I get the most enjoyment out of lobster diving. I think it's just so fun getting to just getting to be in the ocean at night uh, is something that not a lot of people get to experience. Like last night, um, I was out diving with a few buddies and within five minutes, uh, like a six foot leopard shark swam right up to me and it kind of scared me at first. Then I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And it stuck with me for five or 10 minutes. Um, and I was like, just even if you were just snorkeling, like getting to swim with a shark that large in the middle of the night uh, is such a special experience. Um, but that being said, when the viz is good in the wintertime, my uh, favorite thing to do is probably to hit the islands. It's um, the islands on like a day where the visibility is like 50 or 60 feet is probably one of my favorite kinds of diving to do. And my, uh, my husband is, he's more of a fair weather diver and that's probably one of his favorites as well is if you can hit the islands with, with 50 to 60 feet of visibility. The islands are a pretty special place too. Um, but when you mentioned the shark thing at night and um, I remember the first time I had a situation like that and I didn't even know it was next to me. I was looking under a crack and I saw my buddy shine the light at me. And 
I see him like flashing at me, like, hey, you know, come on, come on. I'm like, what? You know, signaling that came up. He's like, did you see that? It's like, no, man. Uh, he's like, it was beautiful. I was like, what? He's like, there was this huge shark right next to you. I was like, what the fuck? You see? Like, why are we on the surface talking about? Let's get out of here. And I come to find out later on, you know, I was thinking like, it was a big great white that like buzzed me or something, but it ended up being a seven gill in La Jolla, which is now like off limits where we were. But yeah, I think I think there's something about it too because it's so quiet and it and you see that transition from the you know nocturnal animals coming out like and the diurnal animals going to sleep and all that stuff or whatever they're doing. You see like this whole transition. That's why I was like hunting at like uh, at dusk. Um, where it just starts to settle down and you can see things change over and it's like the predators get a little more aggressive and less shy and like white sea bass. You ever had white sea bass swim up to you at night? To this day, I've never seen a white sea bass in the water. I caught my first one rod in real this summer uh, uh-huh. and my, my husband speared them, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm too loud in the water. <laughs> it's just bad, bad luck. I, you know what it is? It's just consistency. Well, yeah, it's 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 funny. It's hard to go swim around in murky water and cold murky water if you know, like offshore, there's there's it's going off offshore, or there's like the tuna, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's like one of those things. You do, I don't know. You either love it or you absolutely hate it. And I did it for a long time, and I got super burned out on it. And then I think it was this year or last year, I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I got to at least check this off my bucket list here. It's been a long, long time. So yeah, the white sea bass thing. <laughs> I think for me, it's that, that, that time of year where the, where the season kind of peaks is sort of the end of lobster season. The island visibility is really good. And so you can go play around in the murk for six hours and maybe catch a fish, or you can kind of go and dive dive at the islands and have like a wonderful day free diving um and pretty much guarantee that you're going to pick off pick off a, a few fish Calico, yeah so it's that that's a tough trade-off but once i caught my first one rod and reel i was like oh next winter i'm definitely going to put in my time to catch one it's just i think i've been out since friday catch them like twice and so it's it's not really surprising that i haven't seen one yeah it's it's a commit you have to just be like okay this is what i am doing you know? exactly yeah yeah. So, um, any trips planned for the future? I think I, on my bucket list, um, I think I think I'd love to do. So, I I think I'm like food motivated. It's kind of like this this circular thing with spear fishing. Like I'll try a fish and then I'm like, wow, I got I got to catch that. Um, and so, two weeks ago, I had my first uh, first taste of uh, fresh cabrilla. Uh, oh, and yeah. so I think high on the bucket yeah. list. And everyone is like, oh, it's so good. And I'm like, it's a whitefish. Like, how much better could it be compared to all the other whitefish that, that I've eaten? Um, and it, it really is as good as they say it is. And so I think a Bay of LA trip for us is, is on the horizon, hopefully, hopefully in the next six months or so. Um, that was, and then seeing all the videos of, of people diving there, it's just, it's kind of a special thing. So that's pretty high on the, on the bucket list for, for trips to do next. Yeah, yeah, that fish was actually a major component in motivating uh, my wife to let us purchase the home down in Baja because <laughs> what? 
she had it at a friend's restaurant, uh, Blue Water Seafoods here at Ocean Beach. And she's like, you can get this? I'm like, yeah, it's like six, eight hours south. I can go get it. She's like, oh, okay, you need to do that. So I, <laughs> we did it. And then it's just been like, now it's just kind of part of our routine of life is go down there, dive, bring back some fish. And then we run out and just go for another trip. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with you on that one. That stuff's pretty incredible. Yeah, I was I was really blown away by by exactly how good it was. It was just, it's so flaky and so buttery. Um, we had family you cook last weekend. So yeah. the first time I had it, I was over at a buddy's house and he did a fish fry, um, and it was just fantastic. And then I did I coated it in coconut flour, cornstarch, salt, and sugar, um, and did a shallow fry in avocado oil. Uh, so you got that like salty and sweet, um, and that like fried crispiness on the outside. It was it was really it was good. I'd highly recommend that. That sounds incredible. Yeah, I think I'll be doing that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So Baja, Bay of LA, and then anywhere else you'd want to go? Uh, for us, it's really fun. Like I get going to far off places and spearfishing. We did. We haven't done a lot of spearfishing travel trips. Uh, we spearfished a little bit on our honeymoon in um, outer French Polynesia. Um, and that was really cool, but there's so many fish there. You shoot like one or two fish and then you're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shoot. I don't, like, don't want to like just wreck the ecosystem. So it ends right. up being more of a snorkeling day after you, after you figure out what you want to eat. Um, but part of the fun is like having it in our freezer and being able to cook it anytime we want to or you know, having fresh fish all the time. Um, but I would love to do, I'd love to go down um, to Mag Bay or, or Pujamita and, and try to get a Wahoo. Wahoo's on the bucket list for sure. I think those, Bay of LA and uh, and uh, a trip where we can plug some Wahoo and bring it home are probably yeah. the top two on the bucket list. Yeah, there you go. That's, when you were in the t- uh, Tahitian, the outer islands of French Polynesia, were you at the Tomotus or? Uh, we were on Rangiroa. Um, oh, wow. And so it was like, pretty remote and there were like just giant fish that had never seen people before it was the craziest thing i'd ever seen in in like shallow water you'd see like 20 30 pound trigger fish which i had no need for a 20 pound fish so we passed on it and shot video of it but uh it's pretty incredible yeah it's always a toss-up with some of those remote areas because uh, I was talking to Mark Healy about it and he was saying like you go to the, some of these remote areas where you think you're just going to be just sheltered, like just fish everywhere and it's decimated. And then you go to another place like a lot of those uh, uh, islands near uh, Asia, I guess, I, I, they got hit real hard with the fleets, the fishing fleets, and they just get decimated. It's crazy because you think they're in the middle of nowhere. But then as you go a little bit more towards French Polynesia and back to the eastern Pacific, I guess, it, it's a little bit better off. But, um, yeah, I've heard similar stories like that, too, where my buddy was like, every hole I looked in, there was a big grouper. He's like, every single hole, you know. And then the shark thing where there's just healthy ecosystems. So there's tons of sharks. So they're like, yeah, I, I guess you shoot one fish and then you just move, you know. You shoot one fish, you put it in the boat, and then you kind of snorkel around. It ends up being more of a a free diving day than a spear fishing day when when you when you're in places where the fish are that thick. Um, but that's yeah. really fun. I enjoy. I really enjoy the free diving aspect of our sport as well. 
do you uh, practice free diving exclusively or? No, I'm I'm super bad about that. I always like <laughs> I like <laughs> if I go out of the hole in the remote possibility I see something, I have to bring a gun. And I think once you bring a gun, then it it doesn't qualify as as free diving anymore. I did go out Sunday, and I was like, I don't really like I I I'll go out with a gun oftentimes and say like I feel like this for dinner, and if I don't see exactly what I'm looking for, I'm not going to shoot anything. Um, and so that, that happens, that's a bunch. I think over time you become more and more selective, um, about the fish you like to eat. Um, and there, there are very few cases where I'll shoot a fish that is not something that, that I want to eat just for sport. That's not, that's not really what we do. No, I, thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's so great. Cause I mean, I, I, I try to call myself like the least productive spear fisherman ever. <laughs> You know, just because it's just more about being in the water and I just want that one big guy that I have in mind and then that is it. And if I don't see him, then I don't see him. I got to spend a whole day swimming through a kelp forest. It's pretty awesome. Um, and if I got a freezer full of fish, there's no reason for me to be pulling a trigger on anything uh, if I don't need it. You know what I mean? Exactly. I think the, the one thing, the one species that's never really safe when I'm around is lobster. Like <laughs> I, I did listen to a podcast where you're like, I only take what, what I eat. The problem yeah. is, is we have, uh, I have like a big family that I, I think, uh, loves lobster. Everyone loves lobster. And then, uh, my company every year we do, um, we do a, a big lobster cookout, not this year, but, but typically, typically we do like a big lobster cookout and there's, there's like 30 of us. So, um, the lobsters get eaten pretty quickly. Yeah, there you go. I mean, for me, it was, we got, I got so jaded because I was diving every day on the water. So whenever I needed lobster, I just grab it. Cause I just knew tomorrow if we we're going to go, I could grab it. Now, um, now I think the kids are kind of over the lobster so much. And then, <laughs> but the friends aren't like you're saying. Yeah. I definitely have the friends hit me up all the time. So, um, well, I want to be conscious of your time and I know it's 5:30 and, um, and I know you got to run, but, uh, yeah, I probably have like another, I probably have another like 10, 10, 15 minutes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, let's get into surfing. Where have you gone on a surf trip? Oh, man, surfing. We're so lucky that uh, both my husband and I love to surf. So most of our travel has to do with surfing. Uh, we've done El Salvador a few times, but you really have to time it properly. Uh, last minute trip or off season to, to kind of avoid the crowds these days. Uh, we do a lot of Mexico trips. So we've done a few trips to Selena Cruz. Um, oh, nice. I have a, ge- a very generous husband who is goofy, but lets us go to right point breaks a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the place to do it too down there. I'm so lucky. It was uh, we've 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 had some pretty great trips down there, and the outfitters are amazing, and the food, the food in Oaxaca is is just unbelievable. So like as we travel to these places, I get super inspired uh, to come back and like cook these things. So um, that's one of the places where Al Pastor is like super strong, like. Just traveling through Mexico, so learned how to make El Pastor walls down there, um, and then we did we did a lot of like mahi and yellowtail El Pastor this summer, um, which is um, it's pretty easy. You just buy acheote paste, like I bought it on Amazon. Um, orange juice, cumin, sugar, salt, a um, few other spices, um, and uh, and then you have, and then you just marinate it and. and put it on the Traeger and it's, it's pretty fantastic. That's like, 
that's another summertime favorite for for tacos um sidetracked on your question where else have we been new zealand new zealand's awesome we didn't get the spearfish it was just the condition we had our gear but the conditions just weren't right i'd love to go back there and um and and plug like a giant yellowtail just wait just go out for a few days and and wait till we saw a giant one and, and shoot one that was like 100 pounds I just can't, I can't imagine how hard they would bite, um, but I think it would just be super fun. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's funny because I, I got really into free diving. It sounds like the exact same way you were. I was trying to, you know, surf a lot of big waves at the time and just trying to get my breath hold better and more comfortable in the water. And I had grown up like three prong and, you know, but um, with, um, yeah, then it was like when the surf's flat, it's like I got to train. and then training just turned into spearfishing. Um, the whole goal is just to spend as much time in the water as possible, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so it's a funny story, but you travel these places with a surfboard, and then when the surf's flat, it's like, you know, what are you going to do? When I went to Tahiti, I fell, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and tore the ligaments in my ankle like the very first day. And so I was like, well, I'm here. So I just literally swam around with a uh, pole spear, no fins because I couldn't kick, just holding out of the reef, just like, you know, playing in the water. And it was still just as epic. I mean, granted, I like to surf, but uh, I think that's the beauty of being a well-rounded person. And then you learn so much too. Like, So this is interesting. How do you think that your surfing has helped you with your diving? Um. I think they're like just being in the water. Time in the water is just time in the water is probably the best way to put it. Um, like I was out surfing today in, uh, in Del Mar. Um, and I dove there on Monday. Uh, I was looking down at the reef and I'm like, yeah, I know this is exactly where the set wave is going to break because I can look down and I see the structure and I know approximately where I am and what it looks like underneath me. Um, and so I think it's just kind of, being well-rounded in that way and understanding kind of how the ocean, how the ocean works and how the ocean moves. Um, diving, diving is one of those things where you just have to be in really good shape to do it, especially shore diving. I think now that I have a boat, I, I, I forget how much work shore diving is. I did it the last few days just because I was like tight on time. If you have, if you have like a two, two or three hour window, it's, you're not going to like drive from North County down down all the way down to san diego to just go out for like an hour it's just easy to just jump out in front of the house um but man it is a shore diving is a lot of exercise i forgot respect to all those people out there who shore dive all the time it's work <laughs> oh yeah and then um you know i can't imagine what it'd be like to, to take up spearfishing and your first introduction to spearfishing is shore diving on like a, a larger day you know and the guy <laughs> I feel like with the surfing aspect, like that it taught has taught me, you know, timing and everything. Like you can shore dive in just about anything, ten foot surf. And if you know how to surf, like you can time it and uh, you know, have no problems. But then you watch other people and it's an absolute yard sale. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah. And you see big waves, you know there's a reef too. That's the other thing. Like you were saying about reading the bottom, looking at the bottom, you know where the wave's going to break and vice versa. When you see like a big day and you're seeing misto peaks out there, you know, there's probably a reef that would be worth checking out. Exactly. And that's part of the fun of, 
Like we are so blessed in San Diego that we have all these different kinds of ecosystems to go check out in Shore Dive. Like so much of the time when the visibility is good, it's worth just kicking out there to a new spot that you've never been just to see what's out there. Even if you don't come home with anything, um, that's like the only way to like find, to really find new spots. And I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in like secret spots. Like I love bringing my buddies out and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I, it's still a lot of work. Like that's my, my thing is, and I think that's why the community is so strong versus surfing. Surfing is like the, the polar opposite from a community perspective than spearfishing is people are always like, Oh, come out spearfishing with me. And, um, that's something that that's one of my favorite aspects of the sport is, is the community aspect. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with you. That's the one thing that I really thoroughly enjoy about it is that you've got friends all over the world and you can, you know, I guess maybe, I don't know how that happened. Maybe it's because in order to really do the diving aspect, you should have a buddy. So you kind of force everybody to be cool with each other. Um, rather than when you go surf, sometimes you just want to zone out. It's a very individual kind of activity, almost like a meditation thing. And you don't want to be bothered with 30 people around you. Yeah, I think one of the, uh, I was listening to your last podcast with Eric Anderson and that's one, that's one of the ways I feel like, um, I've been super blessed in this sport, um, is learning, learning alongside, uh, my husband and always having that fixed dive partner, um, is something that we're just so blessed with, uh, and then picking up friends along the way, um, who spearfish and share our passion for the ocean. Um, you end up with, only like a few people that you're like, okay, we swim at about the same speed. We actually trust each other. We're really good at like just going one up, one down and being really vigilant um, and being concerned, you know, you always put safety first. Um, it's, it's a, it's a pretty kind of special type of friendship as well. It's, it's fun. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. It's true. It's weird. It's just, you know how some people have friends that they're closer with than others because you click better. It's like we do that, but just in diving. It's like you can just tell, oh, okay, they're on the same page I am. This is going to be a good day. I don't have to worry about where they are, you know. Um, well, it's I know you got to run, so I just wanted to thank you again for um, scheduling this with us over and over again as I'm, <laughs> I'm canceling, you're canceling. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I just I love the fact what you said before is that we're canceling all the time because we're actually out doing what we love to do, surf and dive and all of that. That's like first priority. Um, <laughs> <laughs> other than being a father and a husband. But yeah, definitely. That's that's up there. Um, so thank you so much. And um, I I wish you maybe you should uh, do some dive sometime soon or go to Baja or something, uh, plan a trip to Baja with everybody, um, Matt, you and everybody. Um, but thank you be, for being on the that show. That would be killer. Yeah. We're definitely down for a Baja trip. So let me know. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you in the water and we'll dive together soon. That'd be super fun. Super local. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'll see you at, uh, maybe one of our free diving meetings too. Definitely. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much. Brett. All right. That concludes the show for today. As we uh, get ready to be locked down again here in beautiful, sunny uh, California, I should be able to get some more shows done um, out to you guys a little bit faster. But I hope everyone has a great holiday season and take care. And if you'd like to support the show even further, you can go over to 
our Patreon page, www.patreon forward slash spearfactor, and donate to the show to keep it going. And I just want to give a big thank you to the sponsors um, of the show, Hot Rod Spear Guns, Chimera Spearfishing, inventors of the side slip, Acaso Cameras, and One Drop Spearfishing. All those guys, uh, thank you so much. And go over to the website, www.spearfactor.com, and check out the deals that they have provided for Spearfactor listeners. Everybody enjoy yourselves and dive safe. Thanks again. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.